Today's show is brought to you by Airtable, the all-in-one collaboration platform. Producing quality content at a high volume is hard. And with newsfeed algorithms constantly shifting and audience platform preferences changing seemingly overnight, media companies need to stay agile in order to be on top. That's why content production teams at places like Time Magazine use Airtable. It's flexible enough to adapt to your process, but powerful enough to keep everything on schedule and to let creative people be creative. Visit Airtable.com slash Digiday today to get $50 in free credits. Hello and welcome to the Digiday Podcast. I am Brian Morrissey. On this week's episode, I am joined by my neighbors, Jason and Colleen Wacob. They are the husband and wife team who co-founded Mind Body Green, a wellness site. They insist they're a brand that just happened to get its start in media. We talked about their advertising strategy and how too many guests on this podcast complain about the duopoly. They also talked about how they diversify their revenue streams, getting deeper into the events business. Hope you enjoy it. Colleen, Jason, welcome. Thanks for having us. Okay, so let's get started with just give people a background on Mind Body Green um, and when it was founded and what what you both saw in the market. Sure. So the company was founded in 2009. It, so I have to rewind a bit. So 20 years ago, I'm 43 now, I played basketball at Columbia. And back then, this is 1998. What you did after college, if you had college debt, no scholarships back then. So, you know, middle-class kid from Long Island, I had college debt. Uh, you went to, to Wall Street, so I became an equities trader. I uh, was able to pay off my debt. 9-11 happened, affected me like it did a lot of New Yorkers at the time and decided I wanted to do something different, something that was a little more meaty, had purpose, left to become an entrepreneur, had a series of startup experiences. Uh, and I found myself around 2008, 2007, I was flying over 100,000 miles domestic in one year. I'm six foot seven. Imagine what that looks like in a coach seat. It's okay. not pretty. So old basketball <laughs> I don't injury. know this experience personally. Yeah. yeah. Old <laughs> domestic. You, you go international. You're cheating on the miles. Okay. A lot of little flights. So flying, stress, old basketball injury. I had two extruded discs in my lower back, pressing on my sciatic nerve, L4, L5, S1, excruciating pain in my right leg. I could not walk. It was not fun. Went to a doctor, he says, you need back surgery. Nothing against surgery, but tend to see it as a last resort. And the success rates with back surgery actually aren't that good, just right. like Steve Kerr. Um, and so sought a second opinion. That doctor said the same thing. He said, you need back surgery. And it was almost like an afterthought. He, he said, you know, maybe some yoga or therapy could help. And Colleen and I were, were together at the time dating. Colleen was big into yoga. So I was like, okay, I'll, I'll try some yoga. Started some really light yoga, five to 10 minutes, morning and evening. Started to feel better. I was a guy, my idea of nutrition back then was steak and martinis. I ate so much steak in one year. My face is on the wall of the Palm Steakhouse in midtown <laughs> Manhattan. It's, it's Adam Sandler, Joe Namath, and me. So <laughs> age 27, imagine what that looked like. And so I started to eat more vegetables and so on, still eat meat, but you know, grass-fed, not as much, all that stuff. Uh, started to look at the environment, toxins, what that was doing to, to health, and made a lot of changes in my life. And yoga was a big part of it. And over the course of six months, I completely healed. So I've never had back surgery. I'm fine. And still fly a lot, unfortunately. 
so I had this series of moments where I was like, everyone's doing, you know, this quote unquote wellness thing wrong. Every print magazine leads you to believe it's about vanity and weight loss. And that wasn't it. Mm-hmm. And well, it, was, it wasn't even wellness then, right? Right. It wasn't. Wellness was associated with spas back then. Yeah. We, we often joke that when Mind Body Green started in 2009, like the word wellness wasn't part of the zeitgeist. It was associated with European medical spas and dropping $20,000 to stay at Canyon Ranch or one of those yeah. fancy schmancy resorts. Yeah. And so I just saw it clearly like this is the future. It's this blend of mental, physical, spiritual, emotional, and environmental well-being. And all these things are interconnected. Hence, mind, body, green, one word, not three. And that there was a huge opportunity to not just preach the choir of the converted who live on the west side of L.A. or Boulder or what have you, but to build a bigger church and saw content as an opportunity to, to do that and thought that there was a big opportunity there. And that's how it started in 2009. Okay. So explain what's going on in wellness for those who are not um, in it every day. I mean, because it's become, it has become mainstream, I feel like in the last few years, um, everything from, from goop, um, there's a lot of wellness out there and it's, it's a squishy term. <laughs> For sure. This is uh, something that we, we think a lot about. And what's interesting about the time that we're in right now is there's never been more wellness in the world than there is today. But I can't really tell you what that means in terms of expanding the movement. There's so many people that still don't have access to basic wellness, like food insecurity. So it's great that there's more people that are involved in this movement. But I think we've kind of strayed a little bit away from our the core values of just trying to bring health and access to more people. It's become a little bit narcissistic as a movement, and I think we need to reframe the conversation. Well, it seems to me from the outside, I'm not a wellness warrior. From a warrior. guy who runs all the time? <laughs> yeah, but like, I'm not a wellness not a, warrior. Like, every I'm time like I a, see you in Dumbo, you're run, you run yeah. like ultramarathons. Yeah, but that, that, that's like, <laughs> I'm like a 1970s you know runner with uh, the socks up to the knees. Um, but with wellness... It, it gets into that squishy area that it seems like it's something for, for people in Brentwood and certain zip codes, um, maybe even parts of Dumbo, um, <laughs> not for, you know, quote unquote, regular Americans or regular people. That is for sure a conception with the wellness movement right now. And I, I don't disagree with that conception. Uh, perception. When we, perception, thank you. <laughs> um, when we ask our audience about it, 55% of them are concerned that people don't have access to wellness because we have you know, strayed a bit from the core values. There's so much of wellness that is truly accessible. Something like getting a good night's sleep every night for eight hours, like that to me is a lot of wellness. Going outside and exercising by going on a walk in a park, like mm-hmm. those are parts of wellness that you know aren't as fun to talk about as yeah. maybe adaptogens. I don't even know what those are. Exactly. Well, <laughs> we'll so get whole, into whole other podcast. So you know, our our mantra at Mind Body Green is you, we all. And so, what do we mean by that? We believe you know you. You got to take care of yourself first. If if you don't have a handle on yourself, you can't help anyone else. You know, once you've got yourself covered, you know, your mind, your gut, your fitness routine, whatever, then we family, community, what are you doing to spread the message, support others, and then all access. How are we thinking about what's going on in the world right now with, with regards to access? How are we thinking about the environment and global warming and what that's doing? So mm-hmm. we, we view wellness and we view it incumbent upon us as the, the leaders in this space to 
really expand the message. And, you know, we, we talk about gut health a lot and so forth, but at a certain certain point, like, why are we, why are we doing this? You know, we think it's much bigger. We think it's about living a complete and fulfilling life and it's this expanded definition. And that's why it's the motivation yeah. behind, like, why do you run? You do it because you feel good. Right. So I, we should talk more about my running. <laughs> <laughs> um, but until we, we do uh, really get deep into that, um, why do you think this is becoming a big thing now? Um, I don't want to attach too much sort of cultural meaning to it, but I do think that there's like a cultural moment right now that makes um, wellness come to the forefront beyond Gwyneth Paltrow. (laughs) People are hurting. Uh, The statistics around diabetes are staggering. You know, if you look at not to get into politics, but if, you know, I would say that people are generally hurting in in the United States of America. I would say that, you know, there, there aren't tens of millions of Americans who are white supremacists and, and racist, but they're probably more than we thought they were. But we have a large, large group of people who are hurting mentally, physically, emotionally, and good on that path. But like mm-hmm. they made a choice because they felt they had to. And, you know, pe- people are lost. If we, if we think about the expanded version of wellness, some, someone and, and some, some, a brand we talk about a lot is Oprah. And, you know, Oprah served a lot of people when she was on network TV and helping find meaning, purpose, mm-hmm. and significance. And I think wellness is sort of, and we have, you know, plugged that hole for people in a generation where we could, in technology, uh, we're very divided politically that there's this common ground that that's there, this toolkit that helps people feel good. So you see this as like a broad-based brand not just for quote-unquote crunchy people oh absolutely 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 for the crunchy people well they're already (laughs) drinking the metaphorical kombucha but when we ask our audience you know this very same question because the way we think about our audience in terms of a wellness journey you know we'll ask them where are you on this journey and we 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 think of it as a journey that you go on and off, but 70% of them describe themselves as, as wellness newbies. So there's this interest in proactive health where maybe, you know, nothing is wrong, but it's just a way for you to feel better, um, feel less tired, have energy, things that everyone wants. Um, you know, and I think a big part of why it's having a cultural moment right now is because people don't feel good. Anxiety's on the rise. People aren't sleeping at night. You know, these are, you know, really fundamental mm-hmm. problems that we didn't maybe think about 10 or 20 years ago to the same scale. And only only 10% of our audience self-identifies as part of the wellness committed, or to use your words, the crunchies. <laughs> well, now, I wonder how you make it approachable to people that can be easily turned off by kind of hectoring that that sometimes happens f- from the true believer side, right? I mean, recently we saw WeWork's founders, you know, banned their employees from expensing any meals with meat. And I'm sure their intentions are all, we all know that, you know, I think that most people should be eating less meat. It's bad for the environment. You know, we just need to move to more plant-based diet and stuff like this. But it comes across as nannying and hectoring. And I think it ends up turning more people off. So I wonder how you balance the sort of, you know, preaching to, to the choir, but at the same time expanding the church. So I, I'd say we believe in a couple of things. One is we believe that wellness is personalized and what may work for me may not work for you. We also believe that wellness is evolving and science is evolving and it evolves with you and it evolves with science and data. We also believe in sharing multiple points of view. So on our platform, we have some of the best functional medicine doctors in the world who lean a little bit more paleo. And then we've got mm-hmm. world-class cardiologists who believe in going vegan. And we believe that having multiple points of view is important. And there is a tension between 
being futuristic. Like we were talking about the microbiome five years ago and being accessible. And it's our point of view that you don't, being accessible doesn't mean you're dumbing down content. Mm -hmm. You can be cutting edge futuristic, but it's how you speak about the topic and tone you use that can make it accessible. And that's a tension we struggle with. We want to push the envelope and where the world is going and help get us Mm -hmm. there. But at the same time, have someone who doesn't live in the West Coast, lives in the middle of nowhere in Topeka, Kansas, read the article, identify with it, and take action and change their lives. I think a great example of that in real life is something like the endocannabinoid system. Super futuristic. You know, that's on the, the top 10% of the wellness committed, but how do we would what talk? What is that? <laughs> so CBD, you know, everything. CBD oil, CBD drink, oh, right. CBD. But there's that's, a why behind that. There's this master system, the, the endocannabinoid high, system. Right? Well, there's so much misinformation, but like there's, there's actually like a why and a system and science behind it so like rather than do the dumbed down version like 10 cbd cocktails that will blow your mind like sure like that could do okay on seo yeah but like we'd rather go deeper and educate people like why what's the why the how okay and you can do so with tone and we can still talk about cbd for the wellness newbies yeah A quick break here for a word from our sponsor, Airtable, the all-in-one collaboration platform. The digital landscape is constantly evolving, and for your content to break through the noise, your publishing strategy needs to be adaptable. That's why teams at leading media companies like Condé Nast Entertainment, BuzzFeed Studios, and Group 9 Media all use Airtable to fine-tune their production process for the modern age. With Airtable, you can build the collaborative, streamlined production process you need to succeed. Try it today. Just head to Airtable.com slash Digiday to receive $50 in free credits. Now back to the episode. How do you stay away from quackery? It seems like there is some quackery that has entered into, I mentioned Goop um, earlier, and I think that has gotten, I I think it's a fascinating company and a fascinating brand. but some of the stuff I think is has has sort of moved into the quackery side of things. It's it's quasi scientific. It might even be harmful to people's health. Um, so how do you? It seems like you want to have a brand that's away from that, mm-hmm. but so, at the same time futuristic. Because <laughs> sometimes futuristic stuff comes across across as quackery. Yeah, there, there's a tension, and for us, you know, we're known in the space as you know as the influencer platform, more specifically with a lot of the leading doctors in this space. Yeah. So doctors real don't science. hate you. No, doctors love us. Like <laughs> okay. we're a place, we, we work with doctors and we say, how can we make this, you know, we work with them, the doctors who are futuristic, how we can make this accessible. How can we translate what you're trying to say? And people know us for that. So I think it, it's also a blend of, you know, it's it's tone again. Is this is this the, where the what new science says or is this a personal story where I did this thing that may be out there and it worked for me? Right, and I think part of what is going on right now in the wellness movement is that there's also been a proliferation of influencers. An influencer Mm -hmm. with a large following to me is very different than a domain expert. An influencer is great at maybe sharing a personal story, but is not someone you should be looking to for your own personal health cues. And, And I think that's happening a lot, especially with the younger part of our audience and, um, something to be aware of. Is this a millennial company? Well, I'm, I'm not a millennial. <laughs> I mean the audience. 22 to 40. Uh, you know, and, and we think of it very much as like a psychographic. Our core is a 35-year-old woman. And that inflection point that you read about of, okay, someone's having children. Maybe now it's time to, to start thinking about my health and wellness in a real way. We see that in our search data every day because the two of the top five search terms, when you're on our site, not the terms that drive you to our site, 
um, are pregnancy with a little p and pregnancy with a big p. But overall, it's it's this psychographic of, you know, I'm hearing the word transformist come up a lot. It's people who are really looking for brands that align with their personal values and their mission, um, who want to do good more so than, you know, a specific demographic. But if we had to talk about that, it'd be a 35-year-old woman. <laughs> And okay. I would say to your your question earlier, are you are you broad? I would say yes, but we have a very specific point of view. Mm -hmm. So explain how you make money. I mean, sure. because uh, it's hard to be a media company these days. You're a smaller media company. I've, I always talked with a lot of the, the big guys, and they're grousing about Google and Facebook. Um, and you know, smaller publishers have a different set of concerns, but also a different set of opportunities depending on their focus. Sure. So we make money a couple different ways. So first and foremost, uh, I would say advertising, direct sales, advertising, and Colleen can speak about what that consists of. It's about 50% of our revenue. It's an eight-figure business. Events, events is broken down between uh, sponsored and ticket sales make up the event revenue. That's about 30%. And then 20% is our practices business, which is our online education business where we sell classes. We have over 70 classes. They range from 20 bucks to over a thousand dollars. And, uh, those two are seven figure businesses as well. Mm -hmm. So explain why advertising is still a good business for a media company. That's not Google or Facebook. It's an amazing business for us, um, you know, and I think right now... And if, direct sold, not... not yeah, we do very little, if any. Yeah, I mean, only international inventory. Um, we're not direct selling overseas quite yet. Um, but, you know, the brands that want to work with Mind Body Green are brands that are interested in doing cool stuff. They're the ones that want to touch the whole ecosystem of domain experts, influencers, content that's being created with a really authentic voice, potentially even leveraging our class business as well, um, touching on experiential, likely done with our engaged influencers slash domain experts. They're the ones that want to do cool shit. You know, if you want to buy efficiency at scale, my Freddie Green's probably not the first place to look. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's obviously it's not an IO based display business. Um, explain. We, we, we do we, that we do, too. We do display and, yeah. and it actually works well. Yeah. We, we have big, beautiful units that people actually click through, but we usually combine that with branded content, branded content with influencers, branded video, video content with influencers. We have a 2,500 square foot in-house studio. Um, so it's like, how, why, why does advertising still work? Like my view, our view on media is I think, if you're a brand, like I'm buying scale over here and I think that's a race to the bottom and I'm buying trust over here. And if I, you know, if you're a brand looking to engage a certain demographic that's passionate about wellness, uh, we think we're the must buy. And so I'm going to buy scale here and where do I get trust and credibility and get to do cooler things, mm -hmm. you know, experiential, physical, digital, it's my buddy green. And so if you're not, our view is if you're not a must buy in a category and if that category is not big enough and you don't have the massive, massive scale, you're in a tough spot. Do publishers complain too much when it comes to the duopoly on this podcast? Yes. 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 <laughs> we will not complain. And I, I, <laughs> I'm like, you guys, you guys really both said that quickly. Yeah. I might've heard that theme a few times. <laughs> yeah. Like but, but you know, we're, we're in a completely different consideration set. People aren't deciding between, you know, a Facebook buy and mind body green. Right. And well, I mean, they're probably doing both. Exactly. Yeah. And, and it's not in terms of traffic, you know, we're, we've, we're diversified as well. So like my buddy green grew from, you know, we definitely benefited from what I call the Facebook gold rush where we went from 2 million uniques to a high of 13 to 15. Now we're between eight and 10 at that time, Facebook represented 70% of our traffic, which the old trader in me was scared shitless. <laughs> and so 
diversified as fast as we could and it took a couple of years and now i think we're 35 percent organic search about 20 percent email and then 15 social 15 uh direct and then i've got 15 like dark social slash yeah, we don't know where it comes <laughs> what's from. that but, um, but like that's it's just from a business point of view it's right you never want to be all your eggs in one ba- right. basket so you focused on email a lot more yeah and having a direct relationship with our consumer like in any business you want a direct relationship with your audience right and we don't look at metrics probably a lot of the ways that other we could we walk in here with like some we were like should we like have our data team pull some like bullshit metric about like how many billions of views we had on facebook with our yoga for cat series which is a joke we don't have a yoga for cat series but like we just don't view the world like that and we think most smart brands don't view the world like that either so what are the key metrics you then you look at every month like we look at it so we look at email we look at behavior on email we look at uh you know are people buying our classes and purchasing multiple classes so i want to say it's 20 percent of of users who've bought a class have bought three classes um we look at 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 softer statistics too like at our, our event business we it's an invite only event it's an influencer event uh, we look at the number, we open it up for applications. We look at the number of applications for people who apply to pay to go to the event. Uh, we look at things like fan mail. Mm-hmm. We look as a mission driven brand, there's a tension. And part of the reason too, is I think metrics are moving so fast and everyone has a different, well, we look at time spent or we look at page view and, and we just don't find that there's yeah. like really a silver bullet metric. Well, you kind of... You want influence, right? And influence is really difficult uh, to have. There's no dashboard necessarily that you just like fire up and that shows your like little influence knob going back and forth. Do people still use clout? (laughs) No, clout's dead. (laughs) Uh, Oh, so I could tell you how much we pay attention to some of, you know. Um, But we we also do a lot of surveys. Like Jason brought up our our event Revitalize, and we do an extensive survey after the event Mm -hmm. um, to get first-person feedback. Tell us what you like. And, you know, the Mm -hmm. community that's been part of the event has helped shape what the event is now because it's so different than it was five years ago. And this is a consumer event. So it is an invite-only event that brings together, it's the only event in the world where there's an astronaut, a gold medalist, uh, a shaman, um, and functional medicine doctors all in one place. I I don't know of another event that does quite that. And, you know, it it for us is um, the physical manifestation of what our brand and our mission is all about, which is to revitalize the way people move eat, move, and live. Um, and it's a combination of content and experiences once you're there. And then it's all simulcast to our audience so that, you know, the world can access these amazing leaders and what they're, what mm-hmm. they're teaching. So simulcast for free. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so yeah. So the business model around that is sponsorship plus some ticket sponsorship sales? and ticket revenue. Okay. And we've done it. It's an annual event. It's our, we just completed our fifth one. It was an influencer event before we laugh about this stuff. Like it was an influencer event before there were influencers and before yeah. there were, everyone had to have an event business and it's just, we've been doing it. And, and it came from a place of intuitively. Mission. It felt like a good thing to do for the brand and to live out our mission and bring our community together, mm-hmm. create the event you want to go to. Yeah. A lot of people are going into events. Mm-hmm. Um, particularly on, I mean, they've always been on the B2B side of it. Digiday obviously does a lot of events, but so great I feel events. like in the, thank you. Uh, <laughs> I feel like in the, in the, on the consumer side, a lot more, particularly vertically focused media brands are going into events. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
for obvious reasons. I just wonder whether it gets too crowded. It absolutely it's, is too crowded. <laughs> they are very high touch from a production standpoint. We yeah. weren't joking when we said before this podcast that we, we take a week after Revitalize to Revitalize. Um, but it's also the best and most magical thing that we do as a brand. And I, think, and I think it's a true test of a brand saliency. I think if you are a digital brand and your brand can travel in the physical space, I think it is a great metric mm -hmm. for how you are doing from a brand awareness and saliency It's standpoint. a validation to get a bunch That's of people. That's a good way of saying out, it. Yeah. And for us in the marketplace, our unique value proposition is it's an invite-only influencer event where we have the leaders of the wellness world together and it's a blend of experiential and content. It's content and community over a weekend. It's a life-changing event. Like we have brands who partner with us, write thank you letters after the event and how personally they, their lives have been transformed. Like that's meaningful to us. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's unique versus we're going to do a consumer. Everyone's doing a consumer event now. Right. Like, and then there's people on the circuit. It's like Instagram influencers. Like yeah. they're, they're mercenaries, not missionaries. And we see ourselves, we work with missionaries and, and that's what we're mission-driven people. Quick break to tell you about Starting Out. This is our podcast hosted by Shireen Patak. Shireen talks to leaders in the marketing industry about the big ideas that inform their business decisions. We've had guests like Jeff Goodby, Linda Boff, and Mark Pritchard. Give it a listen. So the courses are your subscription product, basically. So they're all a la carte. Revenue. They're yes. all a la carte. But that's Correct. the direct reader revenue play. It is, it is, it is true. It's e-commerce. Yeah. Yes. But I mean, that's the main way you make money directly from your audience. Yes. Although we will launch product in Q1 2019. What's that? I can't tell you. We'll come back and tell you, <laughs> but it will be mind, body, green branded product. And With actual inventory. Okay. Yes. So explain uh, why you went into the courses. Sure. So like most of what the decisions we make at Mind Body Green, it, it came from mission and how do we serve our community and build a bigger church. So the idea was, okay, people are coming in, they're reading content. If I'm reading a, you know, an article about nutrition and I live in Kansas, and I don't have access to these functional medicine doctors that live in New York and or LA and they're a thousand dollars an hour and, I, and I've got, and I want to go deeper here, you know, how do we serve those people? And so we launched with, with, three classes and, and the idea was like education like if you're a mission-driven company education is paramount like you can you, there are only so many like 3,000 word pieces you, you need to go deeper on content mm -hmm. so the idea was one serve serve the community and it also was a way to monetize and compensate some of these influencers where there's another revenue stream and also there's a revenue share in that and there's an affiliate model as well so it was a way to mm -hmm. educate and monetize for both our community and for my muddy green and we think, and when we think about that wellness funnel, our our class business has evolved to to really serve it in a better way. So when we launched, it was you know two to four hour classes, and last year we launched our first functional nutrition training. Eight, it's twenty hours. Twenty of hours of content. So as you go deeper in this funnel, you want to learn more. Even if you're not going to quit your day job and become a nutritionist, you want to have this value just so you can feel good for mm -hmm. yourself. So someone might come in through search, um, and then they're like, "Hey, I like this stuff here. I'm interested in getting." more healthy and mindful and whatnot. Yeah. Who's and then they come back regularly. And then at some point, yeah, it's a lifestyle. Like I used to say, like, it's hard not to really get into yoga and like keep on eating at Burger King, you know, maybe Burger King will turn it around someday and, and it just spills over. It's one thing, you know, you start to make better choices. It seeps into you. And we do think it's this connected lifestyle. And, and we're a little, we think we're, we're sneaky in a good way about converting people to the lifestyle. And then we also think that it is a journey and you go in and out. 
and wh- wherever you are on that journey, we're, we're there for you, mm-hmm. whether you're a beginner or you're super advanced. So who do you see as uh, your main co- competition? No one really, to be honest. Oh, like on. we don't, you know, we're not media people. Like we love your podcast and we love <laughs> media, but we don't view ourselves as like a pure media company. We see us as a mission driven brand that started as content. Uh, we think the world is in an interesting place today with regards to, okay, mm-hmm. Amazon acquired Whole Foods Market. Some of the best, I was saying, some of the best content I've seen recently was actually yesterday, Bonobos's masculinity campaign, I thought was really interesting. Casper has a magazine. Yeah. And I think worlds are colliding in interesting ways. Well, I think in this area, particularly, there's a lot of interesting things going on where some some people are starting a product and moving into media. Sure. Like if you look at what's going on with Headspace. Sure. Yeah. Um, even SoulCycle. Yeah. I guess it's like, what about wellness broadly defined, you know, makes that an attractive area? Is it because the people are rabid? No, I, I think, well, I, I think it's a lifestyle. And I think once you're in, you're in. Like I'm, you're, you probably, I don't want to get into your running. You're, once you, once you <laughs> love running, you love running. That's and true. I think, you know, what's unique to wellness and it lends itself across multiple opportunities is people want to learn and do like teach me how to do it educate me and then i want to do it help me do it and helping so then that's that can come across as content it could come across as product it could come across as an experience so i think it's unique as a category there are multiple opportunities where you have a really strong brand that is trusted in the marketplace i think you have permission and we do have permission to offer multiple uh ways to interact with people Mm -hmm. So what's the what's the sort of dream? Is it to have uh, like physical manifestations of mind, body, green, uh, like on street corners? No, <laughs> leases scare us. Okay. <laughs> Me too. Long term le- le- things that like things that aren't attractive are leases. Lots of in- you know just uh, lots of inventory that's not shelf stable. <laughs> yeah, like C- Colleen comes from Walmart and Amazon, and so we're, we're not naive to those issues. But I think at, at you know the highest level, like what does success look like five to ten years down the road, and it's creating more access. Uh, to wellness and moving it out from just a coastal conversation, which it, it still is very much right now, and becoming the most iconic wellness brand that just happened to have started in media. Okay. And having a sustainable and profitable business, which is important because we believe that profitability and sustainability is important to staying true to mission. Are you profitable? Yes. Every, every way you can slice EBITDA. Nah. Every every which way that people have come on know. here and said, "Whoa, but this Jonah and that." Said, and Jonah, Jonah, I let him go. Jonah ready to <laughs> he didn't come really on answer and that say question. and say, we, "We've we've been profitable before." Like what? Well, you know, there was this week that in one quarter. No, it, it's important to us, and it's important because it allows us to stay true to mission. And the moment you know th- things can get dicey with revenue. Uh, and forecasting, you'll have to make decisions that you don't want to make. And I also think that financial wellness is a really critical pillar of wellness that people don't talk a lot about. And if you're mm. nervous about paying your rent or being able to afford healthcare and you're not sleeping at night, you know, that's not true wellness either. And, you know, in a business sense, if you're worried about, you know, making payroll or not having control of your destiny, that's not wellness either. Right. That's a good point. You can go into financial wellness. <laughs> One final thing um, is what is hot right now in the wellness world? Like what is something that is going to become oh, wow. very How much time do we have? In, in like say a year or two that those of us who are only wellness curious 
like don't know about? Okay, I'll start. I have a, a couple different directions. So one, I think is breath work. So meditation, you, men you mentioned Headspace, Calm, a lot of apps are doing really well, but we still think there are somewhat negative connotations around meditation, even though it has become slightly mainstreamed. And I would also say that if you're in an extremely stressful situation in the now, it's hard to say like, oh, I need to get a minute to meditate. And so it's not something you can turn off and turn on very quickly in the moment of like a severe stress response. And so breath work in many ways, we believe is a shortcut to meditative states. Can you explain really quickly what breath work is? So it's actually controlling your breath. So like inhaling for two, exhaling for four. So there's actually a stand. Oh, like before you go on stage, take a deep breath? Yeah, but like there's systems around that. And there's okay. actually a great a great professor. So we talk about like science and efficacy and like uh, and, and trust. There's a, there's a professor, Andrew Huberman is a PhD at Stanford. He has his own lab. He spoke at our event. We're working on a class with him around breath work. Has done exhaustive studies using virtual reality, putting using VR to put people in extraordinarily stressful situations. So if, if you're claustrophobic, putting VR and you're trapped in an elevator and using breathing techniques and measuring how your body's reacting to that situation. So in a sense, like, you know, if you think about like using something in real time, whether, you mm. know, you're in an elevator or you're being attacked to be able to be able to turn to something like that and get you into calmer state and, and, is really effective and, and we think disruptive to meditation in a big way. Because yeah. you can do it whenever and it doesn't, it's and that's not like the a power. Commitment. Cause I think with meditation, a lot of people think time. Of, yeah. And sitting like in a dark room and, and they, yeah. you know, and, and I meditate every day too. And I, I'm excited for breath work. Okay. Colleen. Well, breath work concur. Agree. Um, I think that we are at the really beginning of talking about personalization as it re relates um, to medicine and really giving people more tools to be able to take control of their health. You know, I think within women's health, if you wanted more information about your fertility, you know, you had to go to your gynecologist and your weekly appointment. Now there are, you know, numerous tests that are letting you do this in the comfort of your own home, letting you get, you know, the results a few days later, and really giving women a lot more empowered choices. Um, we talked a little bit earlier about the endocannabinoid system, and I think given the anxiety and, and mental health crisis that's facing a lot of people, I think we're going to be talking a lot more about this, and not just CBD, um, in the near future too. Okay, Jason, Colleen, thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you all for listening. This podcast is produced by Aditi Sangal. If you liked our show, and I hope you do, please subscribe. We are on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, and of course anger.fm and while you're there please rate us and leave a review or tweet about us i have a few shout outs this week the first shout out is for mr mort greenberg who said if you are a publisher here is a podcast worth listening to about platforms local news advertising and change in the news business overall thank you mort also Jeffrey Weisenbaugh wrote at Digiday, really insightful podcast with at Richard Jingris, one of your best. Enjoyed it a lot. And finally, the last but not least, we have Call Me Agent Bims, um, which is an actual Twitter name. And uh, Agent Bims said, shout out to the team at Digiday. The podcast is explosion emoji explosion emoji thank you agent bims i hope you show us the fireworks in your itunes rating and reviews we do, really do appreciate them and thank you again to those uh, who said kind words about the podcast we'll be back next week with a new episode